Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Alrighty. Yep, that's definitely working. <laughs> cool. Um, oh, yeah, thanks for coming forward. This is good. We're not too scary up here. Um, it's such a joy to be here. Thanks for um, having me uh, and, um, yeah, letting me share <laughs> from the front here. I'm the campus pastor at Hills Baptist Allgate. And, um, and at, at, at Hills Baptist, we really do feel we are one church. Throughout the week, all the staff are together, working together to, to live our lives and help equip um, members to, to be out um, living our lives on mission for God. Uh, and I've been um, seeing this movement of Christians in Lowethal, uh, building a church, planning a church, um, launching a church, and it's great to finally be here to visit, to see what's happening, uh, and to worship with you guys. Um, such a blessing. Um, before I dive into the message, something else we wanted to, to raise awareness of is uh, many of us are going through um, 40 days of prayer and fasting, and it's actually one more week to go. I don't know if uh, you've been committed for the whole time and persisting, or maybe have you know fallen off the wagon, or, or maybe uh, you weren't aware of it, and there's still an opportunity for seven days to fast, to, to give up something and to spend the time that you'll be thinking or complaining about the thing in prayer. The purpose of fasting is not to lose weight or not to, uh, you know, stand on a high horse or look what I've done, but it's to draw us into a deeper relationship with God, a deeper dependence in God. So uh, just throw that out there as an opportunity. Um, we've been journeying through the book of Acts, um, seeing what Jesus has been doing through his, peer, through his people, by his Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's been uh, great to follow that along. We've been doing Sermon on the Mount at Allgate. Um, so it's nice to jump out of that, jump into Acts, and then we'll be back into, uh, I'll be back into um, Sermon on the Mount next week. But where we hit today is the f- one of the first instances of persecution, of opposition against this movement of Christians as, uh, as you know, Jesus sending his disciples off uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then there's the, the Acts 2, the Pentecost event where uh, the Holy Spirit descends upon his people, upon the disciples, and empowers them to proclaim the gospel to, uh, to all these people from all over the place, all different nations gathering, and they send out. In chapter 3, they continue preaching. They, they heal uh, a lame man. And P- Peter uh, uh, preaches in uh, Solomon's portico. And then we get to chapter 4, where we see the first instance of opposition. And this is actually begins a pattern that continues throughout the book of Acts to the point of, um, by the end, Paul is in prison and Christians are fiercely opposed by the government, by the religious authorities. And then even looking at the early church history, the persecution just escalates and escalates 
uh, Christians not being allowed to speak at all in the public sphere. Uh, Christians being opposed, being persecuted, being killed, being enslaved. There's uh, persecution, there's oppositions, there's competing religions, competing ideologies. And they have, Christians have no power and no privilege in the public space, politically, socially. And yet, the church grows and grows and grows and grows. There's no power, but there's so much power. Where's that all coming from? And we're, we're in the third century, um, uh, Constantine legalizes Christianity and, and kind of the Western Christianity changes from a place of no power and privilege to, for the last few, well, couple of millennia, a lot of power and privilege. For many years, Christianity has been um, in a place of power and, and privilege uh, in the Western church, not the Eastern church, but the Western church. And what we're facing today is that power and privilege is being taken away from us. The, the, it used to be an honorable thing to be a priest or to be a pastor in society, but now when people ask me what I do you know, at a party or something like that, and I say I'm a pastor, it's a great way to end a conversation. You know, if anyone wants to end this conversation quickly, you can make that up. But, but also, even, um, you know, I used to work as an engineer. And, uh, and there was a time when um, my, well, I was talking to my boss and I mentioned that I went to church on Sunday. And he said, oh, so you actually believe that stuff? Yeah, I, yeah, uh-huh. But I, the, his reaction, what I saw in his eyes is this realization of, have I hired a lunatic? Like, who is this guy in front of me who believes this stuff? Now, I had no, I, well, I don't feel like I had any ad adverse consequences to that. I, we had a great relationship, and I'll, I'll mention a story later. But, but I know other people who, because of their faith, they've been denied opportunity. They've been persecuted, ridiculed, made fun of. Uh, and then... We think outside our, our Western Christian bubble to the rest of the world, people have been enslaved, put in prison, killed because we believe in Jesus. And there's this, back into the West, in, this, in, our, in Australia, in Adelaide, there seems to be increasing opposition, increasing uh, persecution of Christianity. And there's a sense of um, we're losing our power, we're losing our privilege and a panic, like how can we get that back? But I wonder, and one of the questions that's raised in the passage today is where does our power actually come from? Is it the, the reputation of the church? Is it the privilege that we've enjoyed? Is it the, um, the Judeo-Christian values that a society is apparently founded on? Or is it Jesus? He is our power. He is our authority. So turning uh, to Acts, if you have a Bible, do open it up to Acts chapter 4. We'll, we'll just cover verse 1 to 13. So probably half of the event that's happening here, but there's more than enough to talk about. Peter and John, like I've been saying, have been preaching in the temple. They, they healed this lame guy and quite a miraculous healing, an exciting healing. 
uh, but the, the, the ruling authorities, the, the priests, are opposed to this. And um, in verse 1, it says, As they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So the priests and, and the temple guard and the Sadducees come along and they arrest Peter and John um, because they're causing a commotion. They're preaching publicly and they're talking about the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees, they were this group from within the religious community that believed there was no resurrection of the dead, there was no life after death. There was no future thing to happen, that this world is all that there is. And therefore, we can live in a certain way to enjoy that. And the things that Peter and John were saying were compromising that, were threatening that. And that annoyed them. And so, verse 3, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those... Verse 4, who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So what were they really worried about? It wasn't just these two guys stirring trouble. But there was a movement that was brewing. Uh, people being healed, uh, men and women following this movement being becoming part of it, 5,000, that's 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and children. So it's probably double that number or, or, or probably even more. This threatens the, the, the ruling authorities, their power, their way of life, their teaching, and they want to stop it. And so the next day, uh, verse 5, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered around Jerusalem. So all the bigwigs got together to have a conversation with John and Peter. And with them was Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family. Now, Annas is the high priest. Caiaphas is the, the ex-high priest, the, the, the one just before Annas. And there's John and Alexander. And these are, these are effectively the, the highest-ranking priests in Jerusalem, in the Israelite kingdom. This has gone straight to the top in terms of Israel, uh, rule, Israel rule and reign and, and religious institution. And they bring Peter and John before them. And verse 7, when they set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name do you do this? Do you do these things? That's a really interesting question. By what power and by what name do you do this? Did you do this? And it's really, it's an interrelated question. It's really asking the same thing. By what power, by what name? They're asking by what authority? It's asking if someone were to visit a town, invade a town or do something and you ask, why, what power, what authority? Who has sent you to do this? Who has sent you to start this movement, to do this action, to um, change these things, to threaten our authority? Who's behind this? Again, they recognize this is not just two guys. There's a movement brewing here. There's something happening bigger than what they can see. 
Who's behind it? Whose power and in whose name are they doing this? They're also trying to trick Peter and John. Because if Peter and John, who have been performing signs and performing miracles, if they were to admit in any way that they come in the name of anyone other than Yahweh, other than the Israelite God, they have the right to kill Peter and John uh, from Deuteronomy 13. So they're trying to trick these guys up. They're trying to accuse these guys. They're trying to see who's actually behind this. And it's a big challenge. So how does Peter and John respond? How do you answer a question like that? Well, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now we'll pause there because when it says Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's another pattern that's being built throughout Acts of the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon his people to empower them to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the message. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're asked a question or, or um, you see an opportunity and you think, oh, wow, what can I say here? There was a time I was in the elevator. We were on our way out with my boss, um, and it was, it was the week or two before Easter. And there's like literally a, an elevator ride, so a minute or less. And he asked me, so what's Easter all about anyway? I'm like, what an opportunity. Like, he's not a Christian. He's asking me, what's Easter about? And I'm thinking, this is my boss, who I know is quite, um, uh, you know, he likes to poke fun at Christianity and, so I know there's some, some social credit that, that is you know, at risk here. I don't really know what to say. I've only got a minute. I'm spending all that minute thinking. <laughs> but in my, I, 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 you know those, those like arrow prayers you pray and in the moment like, oh, Holy Spirit, give me the words. And I, I answer something to the, along the lines of... Um, Easter's about the greatest act of love in all of history. Something along those lines. And then he's like, all right. And then, then he left and I went my way. And, and I thought, where did that come from? <laughs> what a great answer. <laughs> By calling upon the Spirit to help us, to equip us, to empower us, to proclaim God's message. That's part of the Spirit's role. This part of how Jesus is working in this world is through his people by the power of the Spirit. It's a profound verse there, which, which is almost sounds like a side comment, but it's so important to what Jesus is doing in our world. But back to the verse, verse 8, it, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter says to them, rulers and of the people and elders... If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this. The first thing that Peter says is, I just want to check, is this what your issue is with? So we healed a guy and you've got a problem with that? I like, just want to be really clear. 
is this really what you want to ask? And he says, let it be known. Like, I want to make this crystal clear to you, the priests and those accusing them, and to all of Israel. By whose name are, these doing, are they doing these things? He says, it's the, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So in whose name, by whose authority do they come and do these things? By whose power are they working these miracles? Whose message are they sharing? Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now remember, this is only months after Jesus was crucified and, and raised and, and ascended. And when, they, when he says, uh, whom you crucified, he's not just talking about the Jewish people who crucified this is the same council of high priests that Jesus came before, him, before, accused, though he was innocent. And they conferred together to, to crucify him, to send him to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. These were the actual people who signed the dotted line that Jesus would be crucified. Now, Jesus was stirring all kinds of trouble for them. Uh, drawing massive crowds to himself, preaching uh, that the kingdom of God is here, that all we need, need to be saved is to have faith in him, causing a lot of trouble for the religious authorities. And so they had him killed and they saw him crucified. And I can imagine they'd feel like, oh, thank goodness, it's over. He's dead. He's not going to stir any trouble for us anymore. He's not going to have any power in this world anymore. But that's not the case, is it? Because three days later, God raised him from the dead. They crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. They thought it was the end, but it wasn't. It was only the beginning. And I love, I love the boldness of Peter and John here because the priests and the Sadducees, had arrested them for preaching about the resurrection. And when they're accused, how do they respond? They preach about the resurrection. <laughs> like, they're really showing incredible courage, incredible boldness. Who is the authority and power behind what they're doing? And he says this by his name, Jesus' name, the man that they crucified, that God raised from the dead, that this man is healed. Peter continues, he says, um, Jesus, this name, this power, this person is the stone you builders rejected who has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven to give, given to mankind by which we can be saved. He says, this Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. And this is, this is a dig at the Sadducees and the priests and the, the, the religious authorities because they were the, they were the builders of the kingdom of God. They were the religious authority that were to lead the people uh, into the kingdom of God and to show them who God is and, and, and allow a relationship with God. They're the builders. I don't know if there's any uh, builders or carpenters or contractors in the room, but if you can imagine uh, there's... You go to a site and there's, there's a great uh, concrete slab ready to go, ready to build the house on or whatever. 
And effectively what, what the priests and the Sadducees have been doing is seeing that and going, all right, we'll build on this dirt on the, in this marsh, on this rocky, rocky, uneven ground. Jesus, who's the fulfillment of all Scripture and the foundation of all Scripture, they've rejected. They've missed the point. They've lost it. And Jesus, who's the cornerstone, becomes a, a, um, a stumbling block to them. And this is a reference to Psalm 18. This is an idea that actually is prophesied in Scripture. Psalm 18, verse 19 to 22 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them, and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter it. I thank you. I thank you that you've answered me and become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, those, the righteous, those right with God, those who have access to the presence of God, who the priests are the ones who are meant to have that and represent that and, and, and facilitate that for the people of Israel, they've missed it. No longer... Do we have access to God through the temple and through the sacrificial system? We have access to a relationship with the living God through Jesus. Through Jesus. But they missed that. And so Peter says, again, quoting from the psalm, salvation is found in no one else. No one else, nothing else can bring us to salvation, can save us from our sin and guilt and brokenness and corruption and selfishness, not works, not religious activity, not temple worship, not serving in church, not having a great reputation, not being a good person, not finding our inner being, not achievement, not wealth, not health, not anything can save us except the name of Jesus Christ. Nothing apart from the name and the power of Jesus can bring salvation, can save us from ourselves, from our sin, from this broken world. The Pharisees are asking, by what power, by what name, by what authority do these men do these miracles? Who's really, really behind this movement that's growing and growing and this power Who's behind it all? Who's threatening their power, their authority? And Peter's answer is, it's, it's the name, the only name that has power to save. Jesus, who you killed and rose again, the cornerstone of God's kingdom, the only one who can save. He's not dead. He's not dead. He is alive and he is working through his people. He is working through his people. The, now the priests, the highest level of religious authority, it would have been so intimidating for, Jay, for John and Peter to, to be brought before them and then, then being accused. But by the end of it, end of it the priests were intimidated by Peter and John. Verse 13 says, 
uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. So who were these guys, Peter and John? They were just ordinary, uneducated, unqualified fishers, fishermen. They're kind of nobodies in society. Yet they, they were amazed at their boldness, the courage and bravery it would have taken to, to say the things they said and the eloquence with which they said them. But what they most took note of is that they, these men had spent time with Jesus. The source of their power and authority, the name by which they come is not a, a distant, unavailable name or person or idea, but a, but a person, a friend. He's not just a king that lords it over them, but a friend who is near and close. And I think the message for us today and the message for you guys is planning a church, trying to do mission in Lobethal and, and, and beyond It's remembering that this is Jesus' work. He is the one that is still working in the world. He is the one working in Lobethal, in Allgate, in Verdun, in Mount Barker, in Adelaide Hills, throughout the world. It's not our work, it's His. And He's the one by which, whom's authority that we, we walk in, that we engage with the world. His is the power that's supplied to us through His Holy Spirit. The secret of the early church, that, that explosion of, of mission and conversion and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in spite of severe opposition, severe persecution. They had no political power. They had no privilege. All they had was the name of Jesus in, whom, in whom's authority they went out to share the gospel. It wasn't power or privilege or position or status. It was only Jesus. People like uh, Hudson Taylor, who's a, who was a missionary to China. Uh, most missionaries in his days would go to the coastal areas of China because there, Westerners still had uh, a lot of rights and were protected by the government. But what he realized is that the Chinese, most of the Chinese people are inland, are away from the coast, aren't just, you know, in this safe area where they can be protected by, by Western influences, but inland. So he created the organization Chinese Inland Mission that would go and reach the people inland. And that meant giving up a lot of his rights, giving up a lot of his powers, risking his life and the lives of the missionaries that he sent and led and trained going in there. And all they had was the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus in which they preached. And the result was an amazing movement of people coming to the faith, people hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and responding. This takes humility. There's many great things that we can take advantage of and use 
use in mission, but as soon as we become dependent on those things, we lose the power of the gospel. There's power in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King who came back from the dead. Now, if we claim to be Christian, then we're part of a movement, God's movement of his people working in the world. And he's got a mission for us, a mission for you, a mission for me, to make his name known throughout the world. And we go out in his name. I think there's a, there's a challenge and a comfort for us. The challenge is, are we following Jesus? Do we recognize him as our king, as our greatest authority? Later on in the passage, um, the, the religious leaders asked James and John to stop preaching. Sorry, um, Peter and John. But they say, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, uh, rather than God, you must judge. Verse 20, but we can't, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't but follow the God who sent us out on mission. There's no greater authority. There's no greater call. There's also a comfort to that, that we go out in the name of Jesus because he is the greatest authority, the greatest authority above this world. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus is not dead. He's not dead. He is alive. And he is working throughout the world in amazing ways through his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so to finish up, have you met this king? Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is and what he's done for you, the love and forgiveness and salvation that he has to offer you? Are you following the king? If we have been saved and we've been forgiven, we're given new life. Are we living that life following the king who saved us? Are you spending time with this king? One of the I recently did um, some training in world missions overseas. And one of the things uh, we learned about is the idea of, of mission being mediation. It's mediating a relationship between God and between uh, other people, unreached people. And I love that analogy because it shares two really important things. The first thing is that mission takes relationship. It takes making a relationship with the people we're trying to reach out to and, and share, share the gospel with it. It's in that relational space that we can, we, can have, we can share the gospel. We can share the truth of Jesus. It also shows that we need a relationship with God. The Jesus that we're trying to introduce to the world, to other people, to the people on the street, at the store, our neighbors. How's our relationship with Jesus? How are we cultivating that relationship so that we can introduce him to others? Are we spending time with the king. To finish up, I want to read this quote from um, Hudson Taylor, so that Chinese missionary who ended up giving his life uh, in China or died while still um, on mission in China. But he shares, he shares this. 
there is a needs be, sorry, it is a bit old English, so you'll have to uh, <laughs> entertain us a little bit. There is a needs be for us to give ourselves for the life of the world. An easy, non-self-denying life will never be one of power. Fruit-bearing involves cross-bearing. There are not two Jesus Christs, an easygoing one for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling one for the exceptional believers. There is only one Jesus Christ. Are you willing to abide in him and follow him and thus bear much fruit? When we face opposition, the best thing we can do is to, to dive deeper, push deeper into Jesus, reminding ourselves of his power and his authority, letting the Spirit speak to us and change us and give us true power, which sometimes is power to give up our rights, planting ourselves deep in the truth of God's Word so that we can persevere in his power, in his authority, on his mission that he has us on. Let's pray together as we wrap up and worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the work you have been doing through your disciples back in these early chapters of Acts, but also today and through all time. We thank you for the, the ways you've worked in people's lives that has led us to faith that have, has introduced us to Jesus, the, the only name by which we can be saved. And Lord, as we head out and as we face opposition, as things get tougher and tougher, we pray we would be planted deeper and deeper into our relationship with Jesus, that we rely on His power, that we remember his authority is greater than anything else that we might face or encounter in this world. That what he has in store for us isn't even worth comparing to anything we might endure here on earth. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit in those moments where we, we can have conversations with people, in those moments where we have opportunities, in those moments where we need wisdom, and the right words, we pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us and to work through us. Lord, we thank you that this book of Acts is not the story of the Acts of your disciples, but it's the, the story of and the history of the works of Jesus through his people. Lord, we want that to be our story. Jesus working in his world, working in Lobethal, through his people, your servants. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.